Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story that you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please send us an email and let us know to impact at jfc.org. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at jfc.org. Click on the Give link and help us bring messages just like this one to you every week. Today's message is from our series, Good Father. In this series, we will dive deep into the Father heart of God. Join us as we remove the fog of religion and many man-made definitions of God. We will get to the core of his true loving character and his desire to have a genuine relationship with each one of us. In us this weekend, uh, it's a privilege for me to be here uh, speaking to you guys at Lone Tree, Lakewood, Highlands Ranch, and also Castle Rock. You know, uh, I'm a father and I have five kids. I have four boys and one daughter. And uh, this weekend we actually had five soccer games and we have three kids in soccer and two in diapers. So life is busy to say the least. So, but bedtime is kind of more like a circus. Um, it's, a, it's a ritual that you kind of have to get through, right? But um, you, have to, you have to put, what do you say, caveats to that time uh, so that they get through it without fighting, without knocking each other out or down, um, without just having it be a meltdown for not just them, but for myself, right? Um, my wife handles it much better than I do. And so one of the things that we have uh, installed at our house is that I read to uh, my five children at night, and we're going through the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Love it. Totally recommend that you do that. And so one of the things that I do is that as it comes to bedtime at my house is I say, hey, guys, if you can get ready for bed without fighting, without destroying the house, without making mom or dad so angry that we just want to go to sleep right away, then I will read Chronicles of Narnia to you. And they race upstairs. They start getting ready for bed. And a lot of the times they stay on track, but not all the time. And a couple nights ago, uh, they started getting ready for bed. And then I don't know what happened, but they just got totally distracted. And, and it wasn't like they were fighting, but they just, I, by the time I went upstairs, I, I saw one of them and I was like, you're not even in your pajamas yet. And so we, we had delayed the process, and, and I said, what, what have you been doing this whole time? I'm ready to read, and that's what you want to do is listen to this story, but you're not where you need to be in this whole process in order to do what you want to do. Man, right there, I felt like God spoke to me upstairs at night, getting ready for bed. I felt like he said, you know, sometimes that's true, Evan, of you, there's, there's things that I want to do with you, but you're so busy and you're so distracted. It's, it's not like bad things. It's just silly things sometimes that we should be further along in the process in order to receive what God has for us. Does that make sense? So we're going to go through a process today. We're going to break apart four verses and take ourselves on a journey that Paul took the churches of Galatia along. And it's essentially the gospel message. You'll see the first two verses that we go through. It is the gospel as short as you can present it. And then we go through the next two verses, and it walks us through this journey that really tells us 
where we should be, the type of people that we should be in our daily lives. But if you'll join me in this journey in an honest and humble way, I think all of us will admit that sometimes we take two steps forward and one step back. Sometimes we're really doing it. Sometimes we're upstairs, we got our pajamas on, we're ready to go, we're ready for the Heavenly Father to really speak to us. And then other times we just get distracted and it's like, I'm upstairs, but I'm not doing what I was told to do. So um, let's go ahead and read this verse. My friends in the back are going to pull this up. This is Galatians 4, 4 through 7. It's in your notes. Um, but in your Bible, the way that you can kind of go through this, it's after the Gospels and First and Second Corinthians. And then there's four books of the Bible that Paul wrote, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians and Colossians. And the way that I remember that is Great Electric Power Company. It's kind of a, an acronym. So we're at the, the great part of that, Galatians. And so um, this is the first letter that Paul actually wrote. So this is him really going out and shaping his theology and helping churches understand that. So let's go through this. We'll read it and then we'll break it apart. And I'll show you kind of what I do when I study the word. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. If you hold it there, the first two verses, that is, if you're looking for a gospel message that is it. God sent Jesus, born of virgin birth, here to redeem us, to save us, to call us into life with him. And then the next two verses say this. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So Part of it is simple, and then part of it is language that we understand it, but we don't necessarily know the context of it. And so these guys have given me a neat tool, and so I'm going to try to do my best to explain to you how uh, I walk through uh, the Bible when I read it. I look for words in here that I think, okay, that's either important to this verse, or maybe I need to figure out what that means to me, or especially what that meant to them. And so uh, I'm going to try this here. I'm going to circle this word, redeem. That's one of the words that really jumps off the page to me. And then there's another one down here at the bottom, adoption. There's, we're going to do some kind of word associations through here. So, um, and then if we go to the next two verses, I'm going to circle two more words and then go through this. One would be right here, slave. You can do this in your own notes. And then the other one would be right underneath it, air. So we understand those words for sure. I think if we went through uh, those words, we could come up with some neat um, word associations. I was doing it with some of the pastors on the teaching team and saying, hey, okay, if I said this word in a non-biblical sense, what jumps into your mind? So let's take that first one, redeem. What coupons? I heard coupons. Can I hear airline miles? Right? So uh, those are things that obviously pertain to our culture here and now. Now, the next word that I circled was adoption, right? Now, adoption to me is a little bit more of a serious word. I think, I think 
when I hear that word, of really awesome stories. One of the soccer coaches uh, for one of my sons just adopted a whole set of siblings, four kids into their family. It's a heart-wrenching story, right? But adoption is, it's really something that somebody else is going to do, right? If we're honest, we've thought more about sending our own kids out for adoption. (laughs) Right. So those are some of the things that go through our minds. So the next one, slave. Real quickly, what do we think of when we, when we hear the word slave? Housework, Housework <laughs> civil war, southern states, powerful movies recently, maybe. But all of those, like one of the pastors said, is a North American context, right? But this was spoken to a group of people that were living in what is now modern-day Turkey. And so we're going to go through this a little bit. And then the last one, heir. What do you think of when you hear the word heir? Inheritance, right? What am I going to get? How can I spend what I'm going to get? Maybe spoiled celebrities, right? An heir or an heiress. So we go through that, but let me talk to you about what the people from those churches would have understood when they read Paul's letter or heard it read in their churches. You'll see it in the notes. The first one I put down uh, was redeemed. And I said, for what? From what? Sin, legalism, and in context, Roman slave. Now, let me talk to you about that. Slave wasn't uh, the pictures that we have of our North American movies or things like that from the Civil War era. Slavery was a huge portion of the economy back in that day. Basic stats say that there was between 85 and 90% of the entire population in the Roman Empire were slaves. That's a huge percentage. That was in Rome, and then the percentage was similar wherever you went. Now, with that many people in slavery, some of it, some of those people were treated very fairly. Some of them had nice setups. Some of them had really good occupations and then access to the families that owned them. But some of it was very, very harsh. There were workhouses. So after a long day of working as a slave, you would come home, but home would be a workhouse that was shared by most likely more than 20 other slaves. And the roof of your room would be about the height of your waist. So when you went home, you couldn't even stand up at home. Now let me just take a moment here, kind of a timeout. This has been on my heart uh, all day. And that is this, that there might be some of us in this room that life isn't going the way that you want it to. And you're trying your best, but you feel like you're stuck in, maybe it's the sin that so easily entangles. Maybe you're trying to live up to certain standards that maybe your parents set for you, or maybe your children are even having expectations of you. So your day is difficult. But maybe there's somebody here just on my heart that when you go home at night, it's even worse that you go home and you have a hard time sleeping. And I just want to agree with you that through the power of Christ and by the power of his word, that you will be set free, that you will be released, that you will be redeemed from that. 
So in context, getting back to what we were talking about, Paul is writing this to a mostly Gentile church. These are people who recognize that they've been accepted into what has at its roots a Jewish religion. But now they've accepted it and they feel like they've been grafted in. But when Paul says that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, those of us that have been under the law have been set free and been redeemed. What does it mean? For the Jew, it means they've been released from legalism. From the Gentile believers, it means these people have been released from paganism, from worshiping other gods to now choosing to worship the one true God. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later because I think there's a moment where the Gentiles feel like they're second class. They feel like they're joining into something that doesn't necessarily, um, it wasn't necessarily for them at first. So redeemed. Redeemed, the definition I'm going to use for that is purchased at a price in order to be set free. Now, it was possible for slaves to be redeemed, but for them to do it on their own would be virtually impossible. It would mean that you work all day for somebody else, and either you're being paid a little bit for that and you're saving every single cent of that and saving it up, or that somebody of great wealth would step in to your situation and say, I'm going to give your master, your owner, enough money to set you free. Now, isn't that what we believe that happened for us on the cross through Jesus Christ? That our Heavenly Father paid the ultimate price to set us free, to redeem us. But here's the deal in context. A slave that was set free does what? Starts his own business? Any business owners around here? You know how much it costs to start your own business, right? Now imagine if you start from nothing. You have no savings. Sure, you've been set free, but you don't have access. You don't just walk down to Wells Fargo or First Bank and ask for a loan, right? You have to scavenge. You have to scrounge. You have to... So let's just say there was a slave that's been redeemed, that's been set free, but here's what's going to happen. They're going to go back into slavery, especially if their condition was one of those fairly treated slaves. Why? Because it's easier sometimes to be a slave than it is to try to walk out our freedom. Do we sometimes choose slavery even though we know we've been redeemed? Because it's easier sometimes to go back to what we know, to go back to what we can expect. Yeah, we get it. We totally understand we've been set free. But sometimes it's easier to be a slave. Let me say this. It's not in your notes. God's plan for you does not stop at forgiveness. I think sometimes we get the gospel message and we understand that we've been redeemed. We've been set free. We've been forgiven. And we settle there. But we don't move on. We don't progress. So let me talk to you guys about adoption. 
You know, one of the things about adoption is it transforms your identity. I think Pastor John had one of the greatest messages I've ever heard last week. And if you haven't had a chance to watch it, go online. Please, please, please watch that. It will change your life. Adoption, it transforms our identity. Adoption allows you to have certain rights. Now, like I said, this was spoken to Gentiles who I believe doubted their place in this religion. I was sitting on my back patio and I have a bird feeder that I fill every once in a while. And uh, if I'm reading my Bible and just being quiet out there, I'll watch and the birds from my backyard will fly into uh, where this is and perch on it and get the sunflower seeds and then fly away. And what's funny is I fill that up I provide it. I essentially welcome those birds to be there. But those birds still fly in and fly out like they're kind of getting away with something, like they don't really belong. And when I was sitting on the patio, I just thought this. I thought, do we treat our relationship with the Lord like that sometimes? Do we treat our interaction with the church like that? Do we kind of zoom in and zoom out and feel like, okay, I got what I needed, but I didn't feel like I should stay very long. Okay, I'm going to come in, but nobody's going to know my name. I'm going to come a couple times a month, but I'm going to fly away because sometimes we feel like, man, if somebody really got to know me, if somebody really understood who I was and where I came from, I don't know that they would like me. Or some of us have had experiences from churches before where you feel like, hey, if I can get in and I can get out, then it'll be okay because I don't want to get hurt like I got hurt in my last church. But these verses tell us that we've been adopted. We've been set apart. We've been welcomed into God's family and that transforms our identity. It means that when we walk into the house of God, we are welcome to that table. I think the people in that church thought that because they weren't Jews, they got welcomed into God's family, but it was as if they still had to perform as a slave. Okay, I understand, but that, those are the children of God, and so I know that I can stay here, I know that I can live here, but maybe... Maybe I can only stay and live here as long as I serve everybody else, as long as I set the table, as long as I clear the dishes, as long as I do what the expectations that we set on ourselves requires of us. See, Paul wrote this letter in response to some Jews that traveled to those churches that he planted and told those people after Paul had left, okay, that's great. It's great that now you're part of God's family, but you're lacking one thing. All of you have to get circumcised. And Paul writes this letter and he's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand grace if you think you have to do one more thing. Because grace is more amazing than we could ever imagine. And this whole letter, if you read the whole thing, I encourage you to do it. Paul basically is compelling them to reason with him, 
to say that, listen, God has redeemed you. You were once a slave to sin or a slave to legalism. You've been set free, but not just to wander the streets and wonder what you're going to do. You've been set free and then adopted by our Heavenly Father. But not just that. If you've been adopted, then he guarantees you full rights and he calls you an heir. That gives you access to everything that he has. So if somebody comes up to you and says, okay, this is good, but you got to do one more thing. you got to check off this list. Don't believe it. Now, to put this in more context, let me tell you this. When Paul uses the word adopted there, these churches, when it was written to them, and then as it was read centuries since then in the Roman Empire, they had a great picture of what it meant to be adopted. You see, during biblical times in Rome, Rome started not as an empire, but as a republic. And then you guys all know the name Julius Caesar. See, he was a commander for the Roman army. And he decided to march from where is now modern-day France, essentially. And he marched into what is now Italy, marched into Rome and took over. He set himself up as emperor. And from that moment on, he changed it from a republic to an empire. And then... When he died, he was actually assassinated. You know who took his place? His adopted son. A son that he adopted. So if you count Julius Caesar, there were actually six Caesars, and this all took place in biblical times. And of those five after Julius Caesar, four of those Caesars were adopted. So when they read Paul's letter... And they maybe circled on the parchment, definitely not on an iPad and then onto a TV. But when they sat down and discussed, what does this mean? How does this change our life? The image that all of them would have had about adoption was that the man that was in charge had been adopted himself. And by virtue of his adoption, his identity was transformed and he had access to the whole empire. Wow. Don't you think that's, that's what Paul had in mind when he chose those words? You know, he didn't sit on a laptop and just type it and then think, oh, I didn't get that exactly right, so let me delete, 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 and then retype it again. See, he had, to, he had to understand exactly the direction he was going, and we know that he was led by the Spirit in that path. But I think all of those words, slavery, redemption, adoption, heir, I think he chose those very specifically, and maybe he dictated to a scribe, and very, very slowly he said, now I want you to get this right. Make sure that you spell it this way. Make sure that it sounds this way. You know, and then that verse, it says this. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's kind of a difficult phrase right there. I don't know anybody that calls their dad, Abba, Father. But you know what that is? It's an invitation into intimate conversation. 
the only people that call me dad are my kids. It speaks more of relationship than it does of title, right? And what Paul is saying is saying, if you get this, if you know that you once were living in slavery, you've been redeemed, you've been set free, but now you've been adopted, but you're not adopted as just some sort of stepson. See, God sends his spirit into our hearts. It transforms the very identity in the depths of our hearts, and it causes us, maybe sometimes against the nature of our mind, or against the nature of our will, it causes us to cry out to our Heavenly Father, Daddy, Abba, Father. It's intimate conversation that we've been invited into. That has transformational power. You know, this spring, my kids got this gift and uh, it's this pop-up net that's about this big, and uh, you get caterpillars. You get like five caterpillars, and you feed them like leaves and this stuff, and you kind of watch them. They crawl around for a little bit, and, and then eventually they form cocoons. They hang inside of this enclosure, and you, you kind of put it in a place in your house where you walk past and you see what happens, and, and then eventually those caterpillars bust out of those cocoons and they obviously become butterflies. And then at the appropriate time, you take them out to your backyard and, and what I thought was going to be this grand, like we unzip this thing and these five butterflies just like, Phew. it was really anticlimactic. <laughs> We're kind of like dumping these butterflies out. And then they ended up like on the grass and I was like, Come on, fly. And so I, I, got, I got this little branch with leaves and I kind of delicately scooped one up and, and I, I held it above my head and still nothing. So I kind of I like, you know, you're turning it upside down. You're like, fly. And then once it decides it's going to let go, all of a sudden, that which it couldn't have dreamt possible becomes its new reality. And it doesn't fall down onto the grass. It flutters its wings and it takes off. And in the course of hours, just weeks before that, it could move 12, 14, 16 inches. And now it just flies out of my yard. See, when we understand this, our new reality is so far above and beyond our imagination. So there's a process here, and I'm going to speed through it. If these guys will bring this up, this is essentially what these four verses say. Now, what's interesting about this, these guys helped me work on this, and I think it is kind of a step-by-step -step process of going deeper. When I had this and I was putting this in my notes, I had it in Word, and then I had to transfer transfer it into another program and get it onto my iPad. And so right now on my iPad, these little arrows, and I have mine kind of progressing through, these little arrows turned into question marks with boxes around them. And when I looked at that, when it came up, I thought, that's actually the exact point that I want to make. 
Because here's the reality. We need to ask ourselves this. Have we accepted what's been freely given to us? Have we moved from being a slave to being set free? If that arrow's a question mark, have you answered that? Have you not just said yes to Jesus Christ, but have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? He's not just a personal Lord and Savior that fits neatly inside of your heart that you can dictate to, that you can listen to sometimes and ignore most of the other times. Have you really truly understood that you've been set free? The next question, Mark, is if, if you've been set free, have you accepted that you are now invited into the family of God with full rights of sonship? Do you understand that? And then the last one. Do you understand that if you have full rights of sonship, that you've become an heir? Now, let me finish by saying this. I've always understood that we are heirs of salvation. That this really means, hey, if I understand this and if I've said yes to Jesus, then I get to go to heaven when I die. But if you read Galatians, the last verse in chapter 3, leading into these four verses that I read, you understand that Paul's language, when he uses the word heir, is not talking about this place that we go to when we die. It tethers itself to the Abrahamic promise. And that is this. Let me read this to you. It's all the way in Genesis chapter 12. So if you don't have your Bible, just write this, write this down. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God speaking to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the inheritance that we talked about, our North American minds very quickly say this, how much do I get to tell me how much I can spend? How much will this change my life for the better? But what Paul is trying to tell Gentile believers was this, you've been grafted into this and it's bigger than you could ever really imagine. And it ties all the way back to Abraham when God said, I'm going to bless you so that my blessing goes through you to bless the nations. So sometimes when we get this, all of a sudden the Spirit of God will rise up in us and we have the ability transform the atmosphere of any room you walk into. Wherever you go, you know that you are a son or a daughter of the heavenly father. And so when you walk into a room, you bring his presence and his nature into that room. We're not Christians just so we can live a blessed life. We believe this and walk our way through this so that we can transform the world around us, attaching ourselves to that promise. Isn't that awesome?
But if I'm honest, this is what happens. I understand this and I move to this and then something happens pulling me back in, not allowing me to live my life to the fullest according to the word of God and the spirit on my life and sometimes I get stuck there. And then sometimes I understand this but I don't live out my full rights as a son. And I kind of walk into rooms or situations with my head and shoulders drooped and kind of feel like, well, I know those promises are for somebody else. And if I hadn't messed up so bad so recently, then maybe God could use me or work through me. But for now, I'll just be happy that I've been invited into the home and I'll just wait tables. But if we get this in that progression then we can all be world changers, right? Bow your heads, close your eyes. You know, the last sentence in that verse says this, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The word you there in Greek is second person singular. Before that, Paul was using second person plural, meaning he was talking to the whole group inclusive of himself. But then in that last sentence, it was as if through the pages of that letter, his finger pointed out and looked directly at its reader, maybe directly at us. And he said it in the second person singular. Now you are no longer a slave. My question today is this. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are no longer a slave to that which has held you back? It's different for each and every one of us. We don't have to live in slavery. We can be set free. But we can only do this by walking according to the Spirit of God. We're going to go into the book of Acts, this next series starting next weekend. And if you want to see people that understood this and lived it out, that's what's going to be explained in that series. But we can only do this if we allow the Spirit of God to cry out, Abba, Father, through us. So I'm just going to pray right now that we all receive that. So Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, not as perfect people, but we come reaching out for your perfect grace. Not that we have to do one more thing to make ourselves better or right, but Father God, we just ask that you would pull yourself closer to us than we've ever dreamed that we could be a holy God accepting imperfect people. And right now, Spirit of God, I just ask that you would fill every person here that's hungry for you. God, we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we ask that we would be filled. God, we ask right now that the Spirit of God would enter those who are longing for that intimate relationship with you. God, help us to move out of our slavery God, whether it's slavery to sin 
or legalism. God, help us to move from that and recognize that we've been redeemed and set free. But God, more than that, help us to understand that we've been adopted into your family and help us to understand that through that adoption, God, just like those empire rulers, those Caesars of that day, that we can walk with full authority to establish your kingdom on this earth. God, help us to be that bold. God, help us to understand, just like those caterpillars, that we've been given wings to fly, and we can move further and faster spiritually than what we ever thought or dreamed. God, we love you. We praise you. We surrender our hearts and our lives to you, and we recognize that your grace is good and your mercy is so undeserved. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.